Coming up this hour, we're joined by Aubrey Sampson. We're going to talk a little bit about J.D. Greer, and then we're joined by the lead pastor of Capital Church in Vienna, Virginia, that being Tara Goodman. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday and welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on what's a pretty nice Thursday it afternoon. It's kind of a decent Thursday. Our, our bar is really low, but I even <laughs> saw the weather for Saturday might be 50 degrees. What? Like, That's a Break heat out wave. the shorts. When I was at Wheaton, I'm sure you remember this as well. Uh, by the way, we're going to reintroduce Aubrey Sampson here in a minute. Aubrey is guest co-hosting for the next two days. She co-hosted last week. Look, you got you got asked back I mean, and she came back. <laughs> Those I mean. are two miracles, right? <laughs> and we're back in the studio. Last week we were at home in our pajamas, but yes. like today we had to put on adult clothes and come in person, so it's real now. That is true. So <laughs> people may not know this. Uh, we This is the first show. I don't, hopefully they don't mind me saying this. This is the first show the, of the common good that has been done with two people in the studio since the beginning of the COVID lockdowns. That's so almost a year. Like, I don't remember how to use the equipment. Kind of incredible. <laughs> and we do, just for safety, we have a plexiglass yes. thing in between us. And so protocols are being used, just in case anyone's worried. <laughs> I'm just constantly, you know, cleaning my hands and doing this. Yes. Yep. So we do have the plexiglass. So we are thrilled to be joined by Aubrey. Remind people who didn't listen last week. I don't know why they didn't listen, but <laughs> you can find they? it on the podcast. Uh, uh, remind people a little bit about yourself. Yep. Uh, my name is Aubrey Sampson. My husband and I are church planters in uh, Little West Chicago. We love our little <laughs> town there, Renewal Church, uh, that we've been leading for about six years now. Um, I'm also an author and a speaker and a mom of three sons who are home from school again because there was a COVID oh, outbreak no. at their school. No, well, and I think all our kids are off of school tomorrow, I think. They anyway, are off so tomorrow. That's why you're like, I'm coming in the studio. <laughs> tomorrow I can come. <laughs> I am I gotta coming. get out. I gotta get out. <laughs> West Chicago is a cute little town. I told we you last it. time, all, a bunch of my, my two, two of my sister-in-laws and their families and my brother and his family all live in West Chicago. And my sister-in-law now lives right by the like the fire station downtown ah. and I'd never been downtown until we went to her place because the rest of them aren't living just downtown West Chicago. Yeah. Like, oh, this is downtown yeah, West Chicago. We so. got Coco Loco on Thursday nights. Actually, tonight, Dollar Taco Night. So it's a good town for tacos. I'll drive all the way from Downers Grove to West Chicago <laughs> it's worth for it. Dollar Tacos. So we're thrilled to have uh, Aubrey joining us again. Again, she'll be here today and tomorrow as we continue to fill the shoes left by Ian Simpkins. Ian's about to move to Tennessee, I good believe, Tennessee. next week. Yeah, him and the other uh, rest of the evangelical world. It does seem like it's like the new destination. So the, the guy that I started our church with, we were uh, together for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, he moved to Tennessee. Then I started a radio show and my co-host moved to Tennessee. <laughs> What's happening? You're <laughs> sending people away, Brian. Tennessee owes me. They're going to be like, thank uh, yeah. you for sending it. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So that is the way that we go. Well, the way we're going to do the show, uh, we've got some great guests today. So hope that you continue to join us. Uh, Aubrey, I don't know if you saw the Southern Baptist Convention the other day. Uh, J.D. Greer, who is uh, a prolific pastor mm -hmm. of Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, but he's also been the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is, uh, in the evangelical world, the biggest uh, denomination that there is, yep. uh, the nation's largest Protestant denomination. And he kind of went off a little bit in uh, his speech to their executive committee. So here's what I thought we'd do. Actually, Ashley Hare and I talked about it the other day, but knowing that you were coming on, I was kind of thinking, man, it'd be kind of nice to know what you think think about mm -hmm. some of what he said. Uh, and so let me just read a 
couple of his quotes. This is from the Religion News article, and I would just, as a pastor, uh, love your feedback. He says, we are not at our core a political activism group. We love our country, but God has not called us to save America. He's called us to build the church and spread the gospel, and that is our primary mission. Later on, uh, J.D. Greer went on to say, if we're going to be gospel above all people, it means that we will be a church that engages all of the peoples in America, not just one kind. Mm. And that's hard. Bringing people of different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities into the church creates challenges. Anybody that says it's not hasn't actually <laughs> That done is it. true right there. Goes on to say the last year has revealed areas of weakness in our beloved convention of churches, fissures and fault lines and fleshly idolatries. Wow. COVID didn't produce these crises. It yeah. only exposed them. And listen yeah. to how he ends here uh he he goes on at the very end to say do we want to be gospel people or Mm. a southern culture people Mm. which is the more important part of our name southern or baptist wow and as i told ashley when we talked about this the other day this blew up online on twitter and i saw a lot of people like going awesome job way to go pastor i can't like that took courage and I saw about equal number of people going, how dare you? Kind of freaking out, yeah. You, you are, you're insulting this large number of people who mm-hmm. you're supposed to be over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually saw J.D. Greer would comment to people just going, just pray for me. Like, oh, would he really? Yeah, he was on both sides. And so as you heard about this and yeah. read this and yeah. heard these quotes that I read, I would love just your feedback on the things he had to say. I think I would say everything under the umbrella of Leadership is really hard, <laughs> you know, and yes. leadership is really hard in a pandemic. And so the fact that he is leading as wisely as he is, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think there's no doubt he's going to get feedback, right? Yeah. That's just the reality of being a leader. But I, my tendency is to think anytime you kind of stomp on someone's idolatry, and it sounds like he's naming some idolatry here that maybe some of the Southern Baptist folks are holding up their their Southern roots or their Southern heritage, mm-hmm. um, as strongly, if not stronger, than their gospel roots and their <laughs> inheritance in Christ, he's saying that's ungodly. That yeah. is idolatry. And anytime you stomp on people's idolatry, and this is true <laughs> for me too, yeah. uh, people freak out. Mm. And so, of course, they're going to freak out. But I, I actually think he's right. I think this is a line in the sand that needs to be happening right now with the Southern Baptist Convention. It needs to happen probably with a lot of churches, oh. but like um, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to the Lord what is the Lord's. I feel yeah. like that's what he's saying here, and he's calling his people to render. Like, let's come back to Jesus. Let's remember why we exist. Let's remember the mission of God. Good. Let's remember why we're here. What did you think about it, Brian? I, so my first thought was like, you go get them, J.D. <laughs> like, you go get them, yeah. because we've all been reading these stories about the Southern Baptist Convention and a lot of what the arguments have been around critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And we see some African-American churches, big ones, Charlie Dates and some yeah. others leaving the convention. Right. And so when I first read this, I was like, man, you go like what a what a what courage for the president mm-hmm. of the convention. He knew he was going to get roasted Absolutely. and also cheered on. And then I had that little voice in the back of my head that said, uh, use this as a mirror, right? Don't mm. use this as I can all too often read these stories and go, yeah, they did need to hear that <laughs> <laughs> instead right. of going, 
okay, yeah. let me read these through my lens That's and good. go, you, you, uh, you said it perfectly, like, what's not just their idols that need stomping mm-hmm. out? What are my idols that That's need, and my church's idols and us here in the Midwest, and but no more north? Like, what do we need to hear? Yeah. Uh, and so that's where it becomes hard, because I said this the other day when we did this article going, I like to be able to say, yeah, you get them, man. Like, they you need go, to, J.D. You Greer. go get those Southerners. You get those Baptists. But <laughs> right, right. what about us non-denominational? Yeah. You know, this and that. And so. What do we need to hear? Exactly. Yep. And so I, I do think that you put it correctly there. Like, what are the idols that need stomping out? And when we do do that, whether we talk to our congregation or, quite frankly, look in my own life, mm-hmm. it's a really hard thing to do. It is a hard, it is a hard, hard thing to do because it it does uh, stomp on the stuff that we hold really close to us. So true. I think this is interesting to me in the article where he talks about how a lot of people have had the passion to like decry things like critical race theory and some of the other things that have come up lately. But in a lot of those conversations, what I'm hearing is that people are forgetting that there are actual human beings behind those theories or that are espousing those things. And so I would love, this is idealistic, right? But I would love for Christians to be able to go, okay, let's stop the culture war. Let's stop fighting against CRT or against whatever. And instead go, okay, what, what is the longing that these people are expressing right. in their love for whatever it is. I'm using CRT as a straw man, but whatever it is. And how can the gospel meet that? Mm. And let's be about that business mm-hmm. instead of about like, no, this is wrong. We're going to fight this. <laughs> Again, I know it's idealistic, but I just, I love that he's calling yes. people to be gospel people. It's why we call this show from the beginning, the common good. We want to say what do we have in common. Yes. And it's like the Twitter world, right? Where you lose people's faces and you just go, we're just going to get them. So I yep. wanted to bring that up again because I was very interested and I'm glad I did to hear your take on it. That was a big thing in the evangelical world. The largest denomination having this conversation and hearing this it's from huge. their president. So coming up next, we're going to be joined by the lead pastor of Capital Church in Vienna, Virginia, uh, Tara Goodman, who's going to talk to us about a fascinating thing that they have in their church history that looks a little different here than the time of COVID this year. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. And we're thrilled to have our guest host, our first two-time guest host, right. Aubrey Sampson, That's back right. with us today. Good to be here. And we're in the studio today. This, this is, is crazy. exciting. It's we're absolutely, live. It's, it's a little crazy. It's uh, it's like COVID never happened. We're just here, <laughs> Oh, so. I wish that were true. How I wish that were true. Uh, but it's not just the two of us. We are thrilled to be joined uh, by the phone all the way from Washington, D.C., by the lead pastor of Capital Church in Vienna, Virginia. Virginia, that being Tara Goodman. Tara, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into what we wanted to talk about today, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Oh, sure. Are you sure you want me to do that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tara Goodman. My uh, husband and I actually have been in the D.C. area for, I actually grew up here in the D.C. area, uh, but we've been serving um, in ministry at Capitol Church now for 17 years. Um, we have three kids, one in college, one in high school, and one in elementary school. So um, that is quite the feat in parenting three different kids in different <laughs> wow. seasons of life. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but we have been on staff here for 17 years, but it's been in the last five years that we were entrusted to become the lead pastors here. And the unique thing about our story is um, I'm actually, my parents founded this church, oh, wow. a very established church. They so founded cool. it about 40, yeah, 40 years ago. So um, I get the privilege of being entrusted to lead and shepherd the church that I grew up in as a child. That's so awesome. that's amazing. Um, that's, that's really unique and, and a lot of fun. So we, we love the area um, and love the church. Tara, one of the things that I think is really fascinating about Capital Church is you have had one of the oldest kind of living sunrise Easter services at the Lincoln Memorial. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's pretty astonishing when we tell people the story. They're, it's pretty unbelievable. But um, we do. We host an Easter sunrise service on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Amazing. Um, and we've been doing that for um, over 40 years. And again, something that uh, my father established and founded many, many years ago, back in the day when if you wanted to host an event of any kind on the National Mall, you just signed your name on a sheet of paper wow. and they said, they said, go for it, right? Wow. Um, but now, uh, here we are 40 years later and post 9-11, and then now added on to that this COVID reality. Um, as you can imagine, we have to sign a whole um, book of, <laughs> of agreements to sort of even get a permit. Um, but wow. we have been just really blessed to be there um, for all these years. It started out the very first year with 120 people gathering. And they gather at 6.30 a.m. Can you, like, wow. who, who does this? Um, that will come, started with 120, and then over the years, um, it's grown to our last year when we were able, uh, or two years ago, to gather in person. There's 8,000 people that come at, wow. at sunrise to Whoa. celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and you get to sit there with the most spectacular view of the sun rising over the Capitol Dome right here in our nation's capital. So um, it is just, it is a privilege, it is an honor, and, um, and, and we, we love it. 8,000 people. That is amazing. That yeah. is amazing. That is really amazing. But it, what does it look like now? Like you said, we live in a different reality right now, mm-hmm. last year and this year with COVID. But, you know, some things are starting to open up. But what is it going to look like for you guys this year? Yeah, you know, some things are starting to open up. And we were hopeful that we might be able to to gather in person in some sort of capacity this year for the service. But, you know, really... We just want to make sure we're doing everything we can. Here in D.C., things are still pretty restricted, and we want to honor all the guidelines mm-hmm. of our local and national government. So yeah. we don't really want to run any risks. Um, of course, we want to protect people's physical well-being. Um, and so we've decided to just broadcast online only this year. So we're not going to be gathering physically, um, but we do still feel like, especially in the midst of, of this year that we've all had and lived through, that we actually have some of the best news to offer mm-hmm. um, right. in this time, you know, and that is the hope and the help that we get from Jesus because of his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we still want to proclaim that truth from our nation's capital, awesome. but we're just going to do it the best we can uh, online this year. Oh, I think that is so tremendous that God gave you that space over mm-hmm. 40 years ago and the fact that you're still able to do it today honestly feels a little bit like a miracle. So I think it is incredible you guys are being faithful to lead that. Um, Tara, you and your husband, you said, Travis, lead Capital Church together. It has obviously been a hard year for pastors, mm-hmm. a hard year for church goers. I would just love to hear from you how you are encouraging your people to endure during this season. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, it starts by keeping ourselves encouraged, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and so we spend a lot of time doing that. But I think, um, you know, for us, obviously, in the beginning, it starts out just practically sorting, trying to care for people's practical needs um, and being overwhelmed in the beginning with the responsibility of everybody's physical well-being. Mm. Um, and so, you know, doing that in all the ways that we can consumes a lot of your energy. But what we found out over time was that, you know, actually, while we're also called to pastor and lead this church and consider their physical well-being and their practical needs, we also are called to lead people and shepherd people mentally and emotionally right. and, and consider their, their emotional well-being as well. So, you know, for us, we just started having to understand that we're, we're called to, to, to be here and minister and strengthen and encourage everybody. And whether that's somebody that's saying, hey, you know what, I am. I need to be at home, and I'm not coming out, mm-hmm. and and I need to stay safe in that way. We want to honor that in every way that we possibly can yeah. and not pressure anybody mm-hmm. to step out beyond what they feel comfortable doing. Yep. And we've never been a church that's like, you need to get you know back into church mm-hmm. um, in order to honor God. We said, no, okay, we're going to do everything we can to connect with you virtually, to connect with you via Zoom, to maybe show up at your door and drop something off oh, at, your, at your front door yeah. stoop. Um, you know, we've delivered gifts like water balloons to our kids and, um, you know, flowers to our, we call our first generation members, our older generation, flowers to their doorstep. But then realizing that there was some people in our church that were saying, please, can we gather? Mm -hmm. Please, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for my emotional health, for my my mental health, I, I need, you know, I had somebody was broke my heart one day, just said, I know we're not supposed to, but could I please have a hug? Oh, I, I, wow. I, they showed up in our offices just to say, could we have a hug? And so um, understand that we, we're responsible to do both, right? To yes. shepherd and love, love people where they are. Um, so we've, we've tried really hard um, to do that and understanding. Thankfully, back in the summer, we were able to gather as a church with yeah. obviously restrictions. Mm-hmm. But to understand that, hey, we're trying to be here to love and encourage everybody right right where you are yeah tara it's such a good word with like with like the last two minutes that we have tara i'm curious you're in the you're in the dc area and so a lot of us as pastors we've been trying to walk our our congregations through this political turmoil that's Mm -hmm. been going on but you're right in the middle of it i wonder uh, probably going to take you more than two minutes but but what's it been (laughs) like to pastor in the dc area and how have you helped walk your congregation through that Wow. Yeah, that's not a two-minute conversation, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, it really simply boils down to actually the same thing that I was just saying is understanding that within our uh, within our congregation, we were, you know, leading people that were on both sides of the political spectrum and, and, and people feeling really passionate one way or the other. And so what we tried to do, my husband did a message on the importance of our unity as, as, the family of God and understand, look, somebody sitting next to you, maybe for a completely different candidate than you are. Mm-hmm. And we need to respect one another in that, love one another in that, allow for that and understand that our unity is not based on our political parties, mm-hmm. but our unity comes from our relationship to, to one another in Christ. Amen. And so, That's so good. That was hard. Yes. Like it was, yeah. You know, it's hard because a lot of people disagree, um, uh, but we are just like, man, we, we felt blessed to sort of stand in the middle and, and just say, hey, let's let's come together about what we do agree on. Yeah. 
yeah. and not what we do, and not divide ourselves on what we don't. That's good. That's good, Tara. Uh, before we let you go, where can people find you? Social media, websites. Where can people find out more about you and about your church? Yeah, our church is. Um, let's see, social media is. Um, Capital Church VA. You can find us on social media there. We're Facebook. We're Instagram. Our website is capitalchurch.org. Um, I'm Tara Goodman One um, <laughs> on all the social media. And Tara, one, where Tara can anyone who wants to tune into your Easter sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning, where can they find information about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Eastersunrise.com. Mm. So just go to eastersunrise.com. There's details there. You can kind of catch a view for what it has looked like in the past. Yeah. Um, but then also stay in the loop on um, joining us that day. Awesome. Well, Tara Goodman. Virtually. Yep. <laughs> Tara, lead pastor of Capital Church in Vienna, Virginia. Again, the website is capitalchurch.org. Tara, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank we you really so appreciate much, it. Thank you so much, Tara. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on what is a nice, I know our bar is low here in the Chicago land <laughs> in February, uh, but what really is a nice day. It glad is a to, nice day. Glad to see uh, uh, temperatures in the five-day forecast begin with numbers like four and five <laughs> instead of that being the only number. Right, right. Instead <laughs> of a single digit, we now have two. That's very exciting. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're excited to have you with us. Aubrey's with us today. Going to be with us again tomorrow. We're in the studio for the first time in Legit forever. right now, yep. And uh, yeah, this is like a real radio show. So we are glad to have you uh, with us. Well, Aubrey, uh, one of the things I enjoy about having you on the show, we laugh a lot mm-hmm. and, and just, we've got uh, old friends. Your husband is actually an old college friend of mine. Just some weird, love it. Uh, weird Wheaton College connections. Uh, but I, I do want to get away from just uh, the lighthearted and the fun. You guys had just, in, when you were describing it to me, just an unspeakable tragedy uh. in your church family in your own personal life uh, that I kind of looked at you and was like, do you want to talk about that? (laughs) And like kind of give it up to you. And you were like, no, I'd I'd really like to honor our church and this person. Uh, And so I've taken a little bit of a risk for you Mm -hmm. here, but if you would share that story, because I'm sure uh, it's going to be challenging to some people, yeah. but also uh, comforting to others, depending on where they're at. So yeah. why don't you share your story? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, many of us have had um, quite a year and that this past year has included a lot of losses. Um, some of those are economic losses and some of those are um, moves or job transitions mm-hmm. or what have you. And um, unfortunately, a lot of those losses, as many of the listeners will know, are um, deaths. And we actually really unexpectedly and tragically lost a young 26-year-old man in our church mm-hmm. due to COVID complications this week. And, um, you know, he was a good friend of ours. I was actually just Instagram messaging with him on Sunday. And then Sunday night, apparently, um, he was struggling to breathe. He passed out. His brand new wife, I mean, they just got married in covid um, found him, called 911, and he died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. He wasn't getting enough oxygen Crazy. to his heart. And, you know, he was diagnosed maybe a week and a half ago and was struggling with some pneumonia complications because of it. They, of course, thought he was going to be okay, and then mm-hmm. he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those, Brian, heartbreaking COVID stories because it's it's sort of the out-of-the-norm story, yes. right? He's young, uh, relatively healthy, living his life with his... I mean, he and his bride just moved into a house in Chicago. And so our our church community is rocked. I can't imagine. Um, we actually sent him and his wife and a team of folks to plant a church in the city um, maybe a year ago. It was before COVID. And so that whole plan has changed. And it's just... 
it's pretty devastating. And I think in any loss, especially COVID loss, there's an added layer, I think, of anger and frustration because mm-hmm. you feel like it shouldn't have happened. But then when it's such a young man whose whole life was in front of him, our hearts are just going out uh, to him and his wife and yeah. their families. And um, our church community is grieving right now, frankly. It's yeah. it's pretty awful. Yeah, you and I were talking about how COVID, like you can get lulled into this thing where it's like, as long as you're not 80, <laughs> right, you, you, right. it would stink to get it, but you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Like you're, and that's still true. Mm-hmm. But these stories, when, like when you told me the story, I was like, well, clearly this guy had to have had just some, right. some crazy underlying, underlying issues. Yeah. And you're like, no. And that is, it's just so shocking mm-hmm. and, and sad. I, I how are you, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. uh, let me ask you this uh, first. How are you and Kevin uh, processing this with your kids? They clearly know yep. him, knew him. Yep. Uh, what are you saying to your kids? Ugh. What are you saying to each other when you and Kevin are looking at each other? Not yeah. even as pastors. We'll get to that. But just as, as just kind of as husband and wife mm-hmm. who have lost a friend. What do you, how do you process that? Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin was actually out of town when I got the phone call and I couldn't get a hold of him. And so that whole day just felt really, really lonely. Mm. And um, I actually spent the day almost most of it in bed while my kids were in school because I just didn't have the emotional energy to do much. Um, And then when Kevin got home, we just spent a lot of time, you know, as people do when you lose someone, sharing stories, looking at pictures, laughing, remembering Mm -hmm. the hilarious things. I mean, the guy was a little bit unconventional. And so... Um, kind of sharing those funny stories and then crying together. And then you kind of, as church leaders, pivot like, okay, who do we need to call? Who do we need to care for? Let's make sure we're both calling his wife and texting her and family members and um, honoring him through our church's social media. I mean, you kind of Mm -hmm. have to move into leadership mode pretty quickly. And then with our boys, I mean, oh, I hate talking about death with our kids, but it's one of those things where you can't pretend like it's Mm -hmm. not happening, especially in this day and age. And so... Um, for us, we sat him down at dinner and said, um, hey, um, you guys remember our buddy Michael? He's been at the house a lot. He's mm. hung out with you guys. Unfortunately, he died of COVID. And they got really emotional real quick at, at an appropriate age level Absolutely. for them. You know, yeah, they, yeah. they move on and start talking about Fortnite or whatever <laughs> afterwards. But yes. I think I think it's always important to give space for grief, but then also declare the hope of Jesus Mm -hmm. because he was a Christ follower. His wife is a Christ follower. His family is Christ followers. And just to say, but here's what we know. Um, Anytime there's death, Jesus is going to give us his comfort because he promises to comfort those who mourn. And one day we'll see Michael again. Like that's the hope that we have because of what Jesus has conquered for us on the cross. And so, um, oh, it's heavy. It's hard. It's sad, but God is, Working, making all things new, and like you have to cling to that, or else you're going to fall apart, right? Yeah. And how about the burden of being pastors? Like, so you <laughs> and Kevin lead the church together. Yeah. Um, I've had this. We've all had this mm-hmm. on some level where there's an unexpected death, mm-hmm. and you have to get up and say something, Ugh. or you have to say something in an email, or yep. you have to like. There's a a a correct burden as mm-hmm. a pastor to have to speak to your flock or yeah. your church and uh, bring words of perspective and comfort. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing when it's not to downplay it, when it's the 85 year old guy who's been yes. sick and it's yes. kind of like this, this is, we can celebrate. We mm-hmm. really can. But um, you know, whether it's a kid or 25 year old, seemingly healthy mm-hmm. guy uh, who's beloved, you and I both, you know, we have similar size churches yep. where they're much more, the roots are a lot deeper in people. Yeah. Uh, and so all of that is backdrop. I'm just curious, uh, how did you and Kevin process that? Like, what? <laughs> 
how did you even decide what the right steps were? And then I'm just curious, what were or are those steps going to be? Yeah, that's such a good question. This is unfortunately not the first time we've walked through this. We had a um, young man, gosh, right when we launched Renewal Church Die, very tragically, he was um, uh, worked on electrical lines for ComEd and was electrocuted. Oh my it was gosh. an awful, awful situation, left behind a pregnant wife and little kids. Um, and so you're just like sort of baptized in the reality of being a pastor pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think in some sense, there's this moment that you just know, okay, we have to start uh, communicating we have to communicate with people. We have, mm-hmm. we know our people are hurting, so we have to reach out to them. And just like you said, we've got an email going out tomorrow. Kevin's already talking about it in the sermon for Sunday. I have a little moment in the sermon where I'm talking about it. And then, you know, the nice thing about Renewal Church is we have Renewal Communities, which are kind of like our small groups. Mm-hmm. And he was really active in one. And so um, to be able to talk with some of those folks mm-hmm. and just minister, like, right to them, find out their stories, find out how they're grieving, and then um, you know they're the most impacted. And yeah. so you kind of begin to to minister to them on the front lines and then go from there. But um, I don't know. I don't think it's easy. I no. think in one sense it's a privilege because I yeah. know this is where the church is at its best. I think um, walking into these really difficult things, but you kind of go, oh, Lord, I wish this wasn't my job at the moment because, oh, this is hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing. Like it's. One of the things that we enjoy about this show, doing this show before you being Ian and now, you know, some of the others of you have come in. It's been all pastors. Yeah. And so myself included. And and these are the things we face at times. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, how do you talk to uh, your church when there's a tragedy? And how do you? You know, it's not always about budgets. And do we open up our our (laughs) building? Our building right now. Yeah. Thankfully, churches are communities, and also what makes them really hard is that they're communities. <laughs> so I do appreciate you sharing because there's people out there who are probably like, yep, I've got that. And yeah. other people, quite frankly, who need to hear that a 26-year-old person died of COVID. I mean, I, I think that's probably the cautionary tale in all of this is let's not begin to be too... You want to be free. You want to live freely, but let's not pretend like COVID doesn't exist Stop. anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I appreciate you sharing. Uh, coming up next, we're going to do something we've done in the past here, and that is just look at some things that caught my eye on Twitter. Some uh, some things, <laughs> and one of them might have been written by my guest co-host uh-oh, here. Uh-oh. We are going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you with us today on this Thursday afternoon. Okay, Aubrey, something I always, <laughs> I, we Ian and I both enjoy doing is just reading things we saw on Twitter. Yeah, like Things that fun. are like, hey, wow, that's, you know, a, a deep thought from Scott Sauls. Or mm-hmm. that's a, and we're going to get to some of those. But also, I used to like to embarrass Ian a little bit by going, <laughs> hey, man, you wrote this online. And he'd be like, really? We're going to do that again? I'm like, hey, then quit quit tweeting, Stop you know, if you're on your publicly, radio show. Right? And so uh, I there's going to come a day when he moves to Tennessee that we're going to find something. We're going to call him and just be like, hey, I, explain I, feel, this. I hope I'm there for that day. <laughs> Because that feels very exciting to be Ian. We're Ex- coming for you. Explain this. Uh, <laughs> speaking of we're coming for you, I read the, what you tweeted.
dated what's this February 24th that yesterday I'm losing track of days I don't even know what days are anymore yep Uh, and I laughed out loud when I heard it and I quickly uh, copy and pasted it and put it into our document (laughs) so let me just read it if you'll see it uh, I'd encourage you to follow Aubrey on on Twitter Uh, what are you at obsamp at obsamp obsamp let me read this at some point in our collective cultural evangelical history didn't it feel like all of the Christians (laughs) had to like the Braveheart movie? Am I remembering that right? I feel like there was a whole lot of pressure around this. And then with the Mel Gibson uh, gift yelling freedom. It's beautiful. I just want to know where that came from. I just want to know where that tweet came from. Why did I even tweet that? Yes, because I do have some stories about this, but I want to hear this. So, but I'm right, though. I was like, this is true. 100% right. Yes, yes, yes. So I was, uh, someone else was on Twitter talking about things they did when they were young in evangelicalism and some of those are like bible drills and you can mm-hmm. only use the you know king james version or <laughs> yes. and for some reason that triggered and i actually didn't start going to church until i was a little bit older but for some reason that triggered this and i was like wait for so, I just have this memory of Braveheart being this really big deal and all the Christians love it. And you really had to like it as a Christian. And that scene of Mel Gibson yelling, you know, they can take my whatever, <laughs> but they can't take my freedom. That the like pastors were using that in yes. sermons. And it was just this big moment for Christians. And I think what I, what I didn't say is what I was wondering was like, do I like that movie? I don't know if I, I haven't seen it in a long time. So I don't know if it would hold up. So we're going to have an argument if you tell me you don't like that oh, movie. Oh. But, oh, so you, oh, see, you're in it. You got inundated. Okay, let me tell you some stories real fast. This <laughs> okay. is why I laugh so hard at this. <laughs> a, when I was at Wheaton was when uh, Braveheart came out. Okay. And uh, do you remember in downtown Wheaton, there used to be the old uh, Dollar Theater. Yes, I loved that theater. I did too. And it, what made it beautiful when you were on campus was like, hey, let's go see a movie for a dollar. Yes. Right? And you could walk there. Yeah. And so they would basically just change movies over like every month or so. But then what we also learned was there was a lot of the towns locally had those around us. And that was right in the heart of Braveheart. (laughs) It was right then. And we, me and some buddies, we like, we probably saw Braveheart 20 times. (laughs) Because it was a dollar and it was awesome. (laughs) So, and then this is why this is going to cut close to home. When I was at Glen Allen Bible Church, Uh I was a youth pastor. Uh Uh-huh. And then I became, I was too young to do this, probably, but I was the adult ministries pastor okay. doing men's ministry. Oh. It was one of my things. It's you. And we were going to do something. And I was trying to recruit for something. And I created a video uh, <laughs> that played during the church. No, not me. Like okay. using clips <laughs> that was trying to get men to come to this men's ministry stuff. Yes. Total Braveheart. That's all I did. That's all I used. <laughs> and so when you wrote this, I'm like, guilty. It like tapped totally. into like rugged masculinity from the 100%. 90s or something like that, I it's guess. Like, uh, uh, what was that guy's name? John, uh, John Eldridge. It's like him driving on the horse. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Heart. That's exactly right. That tapped into this. I mean, I think I read Why Men Hate Going to Church. I read John Eldridge. We were running, <laughs> I love like, it. We were running I love great it. stuff. All right. This is a great tweet. I've got to give it to you on that I one. I feel like you didn't like it, though. So I would like to see you go on Twitter right now and press that little heart. Uh, so that I know you actually did. like it. Thank Boom. you. <laughs> I just did. Uh, so anyway, thought that was great. Now let me give you two others. Just okay. your, just that we'll do this. I'll read it. You respond okay. because I thought these, while yours was funny and uh, cut a little close, as I said, these Sorry, I think Brian. are just great. Sorry. Uh, are you familiar with Rich Velotis? Of course, I love him. Is it Velotis? I thought it was Violdas. 
I don't know. We called him Velotus when he was on the oh, show. Well, he would so. probably have, have corrected you. I've been saying it wrong the whole time. So Rich was on the show and okay. was great. Rich Velotus wrote uh, a, a new book out called The Deeply Formed Life, mm-hmm. which I'm actually reading with my daughter oh, right cool. now. And so he's out in uh, Queens, New York. Let me read what he wrote there. I want just, I'm going to read it and you respond. Okay. Rich wrote, when engaging in polarizing issues, the follower of Jesus would do well to ask, am I uneasy with this perspective because it runs contrary to Jesus's life and message? Or am I uneasy with this perspective because it challenges the long held Mm. assumptions I've carried? Go for it. Wow. I feel like that actually ties back to the segment when we talked about J.D. Greer, kind of that same calling out of, is this about Jesus? Is this about the gospel? Is this biblical? Or is this because I'm just like holding on to something I've always held on to my whole life? I think he's right on. And, uh, ooh, I got to ask myself this question in a few areas. I don't know if I want to. (laughs) Exactly. We talked about in that segment. Like, uh, it's easy to point. Yeah, so-and-so needs to hear that. Mm -hmm. Let me forward this to them. And then you go, oh, wait, maybe I need to hear that. That's a good word. I thought it was a really good word. All right, one more. Eugene Cho. uh, He is pastor and president and CEO of Bread for the World. Uh, He's out in Seattle, I believe. Uh, Eugene Cho wrote this on Twitter just today, three hours ago. He wrote, call me naive, but rather than shaming and demonizing people you disagree with, it's still possible to compel people by speaking to them about your convictions Mm. with civility, respect, humility, and passion. What do you think about what Eugene showed wow. right there? Wow. I mean, I feel like all these themes that God is kind of bringing out, because this is something <laughs> Tara talked about. Pastor Tara being in her church where she's got people of different vantage points, especially yeah. politically, and she's saying, hey, we can love each other because we're the body. Again, I think I think Eugene show is right. Unfortunately, it is a little naive in this day and age, but I'm for the naivete. Like, let's <laughs> re-embrace civility and civil discourse and kindness and humility when we're disagreeing with people yeah. and not shaming them for being different. And I, I mean... Do you think civil dif- discourse is possible on social media? I don't think it's possible on social media. Why that? No, because I think we've talked about this before, Brian. I think it removes the human flesh and mm-hmm. blood incarnational aspect. And it is so easy in our sinfulness to forget there's a body yes. and a soul. And you could just you feel like you're just fighting against some vague person in the sky. And you forget like, oh, this person has a story. They might have a family. There's things they love and are (laughs) passionate about. Maybe they're struggling. I mean, you just forget all of that. And so I think it has to happen in community, period. Mm. Which means if you're not in community with the person, Mm. keep your mouth closed. I feel like that's it. I feel like I'm increasingly believing that. I've never been a big commenter anyway. Ian and I used to talk about this all the time. Like, I don't post a ton of stuff that's going to get a lot of comments. Yeah. Like, if you follow me, you're going to see pictures of my kids. (laughs) And you're going to see other stuff. So pastoral. It's actually just fear. (laughs) Uh, But then I also don't comment a lot. Yeah. And I I am increasingly becoming a believer that I think if you're not in some sort of relationship with the person, especially if you're going to push them, Mm -hmm. I think as one of the spiritual gifts is just, uh, we'll call it discernment, but I think there's a spiritual gift of keeping your mouth shut and that you don't have to weigh in on everything, even if you've got something bad to say. Uh, if you can't call the person and mm. tell them, if you can't text them, That's if you good. can't grab coffee with them, yep. 
Maybe, maybe don't, don't say it. Maybe don't say it. I do feel it. like there is this sort of cultural lie right now that if you're not saying it on Twitter, it means you're not passionate about it or you don't care. Or yes. You don't have conviction. And it's like, well, do you know what I'm doing in my real life to fight against this yeah. or to fight for this? Do you do you see me in my actual community talking about these things? Because then you'll know who I am. It doesn't have to be on Twitter yes. to make it valid. Um, but it's also the day and age we're in. So That's absolutely right. Well, uh, that's fun. And we learn. I like that. Uh, your homework, I, you, my homework was to like your tweet. That was very easy. You. Your homework you, is, uh, I think, I know your husband well enough to know he will like this homework. Uh, <laughs> I think you guys should watch Braveheart within the next couple uh, days. Uh, all right. It's a long movie. All right. May not be appropriate for your sons. Maybe your older son. Maybe. Okay. okay. Uh, they'll love it. <laughs> I mean, we are Scottish, like part go. of our you know background. So I feel like it'll we'll just celebrate our people and yep. we'll watch it. Yep. And Kevin, you're welcome. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say to that one. <laughs> well, the first hour is in the books here on The Common Good. Coming up next, we're going to talk uh, again about some of these abuse scandals in the evangelical world. But something interesting, uh, some people who apologized wow. in both the Bill Hybels case and also the Ravi Zacharias case that we want to have a conversation about. That's how we're going to start next hour here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about an interesting apology that happened the other day. And then we're joined for two segments by Chris Sonkson, the author of a new book called Indispensable Church. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside our guest co-host, Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. We are really glad to have you joining us today on a nice Thursday afternoon. It is a nice little Thursday afternoon. A little bit of sunshine out there, a little bit of warmish it's been, it's been warmish weather. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're going to have Chris Sunkson on here next segment, and he's calling us from Southern California. I'm very so I'm jealous thinking, of that. I think, uh, you know, this is good for our sanctification. <laughs> February and March are good, but yeah, the day is coming, hopefully, where things start to turn around. Uh, Aubrey, over the last two plus years where Ian and I have done the show, sadly, uh, and our listeners would know this, uh, there's hardly a month that goes by where we don't talk about a major scandal in the oh, evangelical world. It like breaks my heart. It into. does. And it's always interesting behind the scenes. I'll pull the curtain back. Ian and I have had many conversations of, do we have to talk about this? Mm. Do we? And, and we kind of feel, uh, as we're talking about the common good, to go, no, we got to show the warts of yeah. evangelicalism right. and also the warnings. Like, hey, pastors, hey, yep. churchgoers. Yeah. Uh, what did we do so that that guy got like that sort uh-huh. of power? Yeah. What How did, did we, we do? What do you think? And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it has been, uh, I'll never forget the very first segment we did on our very first show uh, in January of 2019. The, the James McDonald story had just oh, broken that goodness day. Goodness gracious. And we're like, well, I don't know what we're doing. I don't even know what the name of our show is. And we're going to talk <laughs> about. But uh, you're just going to dive right in there. Exactly. Exactly. And so. It has been something we've talked about over and over again. And, and interesting, I would say one of the first ones that got every all of this snowball kind of going, I think, as we look back, is Bill Hybels right. and Willow Creek right. And, right. and just how shocking that was. Yeah. Apparently, people on the deep inner circle weren't that shocked. But I think most of us in the evangelical world were like, very Ex- surprised. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what is going on there? And the most recent that worked exactly the same way was Robbie Zacharias, yeah. who, after he died, uh, all of this stuff. Stuff has started coming out. And obviously now as you read the stories, there were some people in the inner circle who seem to have known some things. Uh, but for the rest of us, we went Rafi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. That is like Mount Rushmore of evangelicalism <laughs> right there. Right? You got Billy Graham. You got Ravi yep. Zacharias. Yep. You got these guys. 
And so that's been extremely difficult. And so you might ask, why am I talking about this? Well, I want to use that as the backdrop for two apologies that came out this week. Uh, And and I'm I'm very interested, uh, especially on the first one, to know your uh, your opinion. Let me read a little bit of this out of Religion News. It says author, uh, is it Shana? Shana. Shana. Shana Nequist apologizes for her silence following allegations against father, her father, uh, Bill Hybels. Nequist spoke out about the allegations for the first time in a long Instagram caption posted on Monday, February the 22nd. So here's a little bit of what she said. Uh, Shauna Nequist, who we've actually had her husband, Aaron Nequist, on the show. Nice. Uh, and they do lots of great work. I believe they're out in New York City. Yeah, they do. And she wrote, I apologize for my silence and for all that it communicated. I'm so sorry. I continue to grieve alongside every person who's grieving. Mm. Uh, let me get down further to where she said, because then it gives a little bit of the background to the Bill Hybel story, who had to step down due to sexual misconduct, stretching back more than 20 years. She said, this season, that season shook me to the core and I shut down, she said in her apology. Uh, she said she's been trying to find the words to write about my dad and our church. Uh, And she said, I now understand that my silence communicated to many that I defend my father's actions and his ongoing silence. I don't. I grieve both of these things. I now understand that my silence allowed many people to assume that I don't care about the people he hurt. That's Mm. not true. And that's something I regret so deeply. I'm so sorry. It goes on to say that Nikwa said she still loves and has a relationship with her father, but that she cannot apologize or make amends for him, but hopes her post will be a first step toward apologizing to and making a amends with people hurt by her own silence. So here, let me give the background. I read this uh, and I thought to, I thought two thoughts. Uh, one, well, I had three thoughts. One, uh, this is impressive to yeah, go and right. kind of own this a little bit. Right. Two, it highlights the fact that her father has still said nothing publicly right. after all of this time. Right. Uh, I was my third thought was this. I'm not sure this was necessary. And if yeah. it's necessary, yeah. what does that say about the Christian celebrity world that yeah. uh, now Shauna Nequist is known by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. She is. Uh, She's a, a very well-respected author and speaker. Exactly yep. right. And her husband, also well-known, mm-hmm. Aaron Nequist. It, and so, you know, again, uh, let's just weigh in on this. Do you feel well, what did you think about the apology? And did you think that this apology was necessary, right. uh, a necessary step to bring right. about some healing? Um, you know, part of me feels like it's none of my business yeah. to comment on it. Um, but because she did say something publicly, then I think we're allowed to talk about it. I um, think it was incredibly brave. Um, I'm uh, with you, Brian. I, this is a daughter grieving something really, uh, you know, her father's sexual mm-hmm. betrayal. And I think that is a unique category of hurt person. And so part of me thinks... Um, we didn't need that from her. No. She gets to she gets to carry this privately as long as she needs to. Now, maybe for her healing process, mm-hmm. this felt very important. Maybe because I, I mean, I, I can imagine because of some of the things with Ravi that this brought up more pain, and she felt like okay, now is the time for me to say mm-hmm. something. But I also just don't want us as like consumers of of a person a christian celebrity to forget like this actually happened in her life it happened to her mom it happened um it it broke her relationship with her dad i can assume for a time and and uh, i guess i just feel like she doesn't owe us this that's how i feel but i i want to like i want to protect her a little bit um 
simultaneously, I guess it's brave. I did see in that um, article that D.L. Mayfield, who's another kind of Christian writer, she says if you've benefited from publicly being tied to someone who is powerful, for instance, like Hybels, and they abuse that power in terrible ways, you mm-hmm. have a duty to publicly address it. So that's even another conversation The the high-profile influencers, yeah. for lack of a better word, do they have a different sort of responsibility to the public than someone like you and I who may not have as many followers right. and people aren't waiting for our response to things? Yeah, it's such a hard one because it's her dad. And it's her I, dad. I, I want to. That's where I want to leave it for her. I mm-hmm. want to be like, hey, if you, if he's primarily your dad, yeah, and yeah, did. Could you make a case that Shauna Nequist is a little bit of where she is because she's Bill Hybels? Maybe. I don't know. Right. We don't. She might actually been held back because she's Bill Hybels' <laughs> daughter. We don't yeah. know. In some circles, at least. But then there was a second apology that had to do with the Ravi Zacharias story uh, that I see differently. Vince and Joanna Vitale, uh, who respectively are the director and the dean of the Zacharias Institute, they sent out a long apology yeah. uh, for Ravi Zacharias' lies and for hurting victims. Uh, what became very clear is that they were broadsided by this. Yeah. Uh, And I was impressed by their apology. But I see this one differently. I think they owe an apology Mm -hmm. because they were part of the organization. Mm -hmm. They weren't Robbie's kids or they weren't this or they weren't that. Uh, So do you see those two differently? Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Brian. I feel like because they do sort of represent the, you know, Robbie Zacharias brand, what have you, for lack of a better word, they absolutely have to apologize. Just mm-hmm. like any industry, you would expect someone who represents that industry to to speak out publicly about something that happened. And it does sound like they sincerely were blindsided mm-hmm. by it, by the rest of us were, and are beginning to own, you know, where they messed up by lo- not listening to the first woman that went out. So I agree with you. There's it. Maybe it's not different. It feels very different for me because Shauna didn't work for her dad. She didn't mm-hmm. represent BillHybels.com or whatever. Exactly. You know? exactly. It, I, I think this gets back, and maybe we'll have this conversation tomorrow a little bit more. Uh, it's the idea of the Christian celebrity. Yeah. And it is just how weird that is. And it stretches then into families, and it quite frankly messes families up. Right. And, you know, if I was uh, Shauna Nyquist, Nyquist and I was, I'd probably have some issues with my dad that I got to go and apologize for something I mean, he hasn't spoken to. And right. so it is hard. Let us know what you think, where we're right, where we're wrong. Maybe you're like, nope, you know what? That absolutely needed to be done. Or maybe you think otherwise. Uh, you can do that up at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page uh, at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, going to be joined for two segments by a pastor by the name of Chris Songson. Chris is the author of a great book, a new book coming out called Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to be joined again as my guest host by Aubrey Sampson today. So good to be here. It is good to have you here. And as as we've been saying, this is one of our first times in the studio in a really long time. So a little bit of normalcy, and it feels good. Uh, But we are thrilled to be joined for the next two segments on the phone all the way from sunny Southern California, uh, author and pastor Chris Songson. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. 
Oh, absolutely. No, it's a pleasure to be on the phone. I'm outside sun tanning right now. Oh, so. Chris, don't tell us <laughs> these things. Good time. You guys are hanging out in Chicago. That's right. That's right. Hey, haven't you learned that the, the cold and the sun, it, it grows resilience in you. It's part of sanctification. So that's what that is. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience now that they're jealous of you, but why don't you at least also introduce yeah. yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Chris Hawkinson. Uh, I'm a lead founding pastor of South Hills Church uh, in Southern California. We're about to launch our 13th campus wow. that's coming up. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, I also uh, run an organization that we founded uh, kind of through South Hills called Church Boom. Uh, churchboom.org. It is for pastors, and it is all about us coaching and resourcing and partnering with pastors across the nation, just trying to help them be better at what awesome. they do. So I love we do a ton of coaching, and I've written several books. Uh, and uh, what we're going to be talking about today is the next book coming out soon, The Indispensable Church. So that's me. Got a wife and two amazing kids, and I have a granddaughter <gasps> as of seven months ago. Oh, that's awesome! Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Fantastic. It's amazing. When my daughter told me she was she was pregnant, this was my conclusion. I said, people would ask me, so what do you think? But I said, I'd say, well, love the baby, hate the title. I'm not into grandpa. But, <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, it's amazing. Though. Oh, I it love all it. Things amazing. It was on. Uh, it was on Christmas morning. I was holding the baby, and and my son comes up to me. He goes, "It's like you love her more." And I said, "No, it's not like I do. I, do. <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> I do love her more." <laughs> to be clear, that's yeah. great. That's, great. that's fantastic. You guys are in second. <laughs> oh, I love it. Do they have a special grandpa yeah, yeah. name for you yet? That's what I want to know. Oh uh, well, yeah, they keep calling me Papa, so Papa. that seems to be sticking. So that's awesome. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Well, Chris, we're super excited about your new book, Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. I know Brian and I as pastors are really passionate about um, churches that are loving our neighbors well. And so I want to hear how you got passionate about churches serving their communities. Well, a a couple things. The book was is uh, based off what we're doing at South Hills Church. We started it about five, six years ago. uh, And... You know, there's that old question that pastors always get. If your church was to disappear, would anybody care? Yeah. And so it's a great question. A worn out question. Yeah, it's, it's a great one, but it's worn out. But about five, six years ago, I was asked that question again. And, and I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, dude, that is such an old question. But then I felt like God kind of was like, well, hold on, answer it. And, uh, <laughs> and I, <laughs> there's a thought. No, uh, answer it. No, I, uh, I actually thought, man, I don't think anybody even cares outside of the people that go mm. to our church. I, I think if, you know, I mean, we had a bunch of campuses, but if someone was sitting at the stoplight looking over at our church and all of a sudden it was like a Walgreens or something, I think people would be like, oh, wasn't that used to be a church? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody cares yeah. if our church shuts down outside of the people that go to our church. Mm-hmm. So we just started going for it, man. We, we said, you know what? We're going to figure out ways to love our community and get our small groups to do it mm, um, and, and kind of get into it. So in 2019, of course, 2020 was, a, you know, the, the <laughs> Revelations, Revelations 20. Uh, but it was, uh, 
I, I keep wondering what book of Revelations we're in, but uh, <laughs> or a chapter, but definitely but the apocalypse. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's apocalypse time. But mm-hmm. uh, the so anyway, bottom line is in 2019, short version is between all of our campuses, we did 100, and, I think it was 187 projects, wow. and projects like this. It's not just. I don't know why, but in the church world, we love to do feed the homeless and backpacks. I don't know why we're all into that, but in the church world, you know, that's so true. I don't know. Is that true? I'm like, we're doing back. I'm like, these these kids in need have more backpacks than they know what to do with. So we uh, we came up with this idea of like, man, what us just figure out, find the need, and fill it. Mm. And so. I'll just give you 30 seconds, quick rundown. We did, we found out, I mean, these are one of 187 projects we did in, in the last six months. We've done probably another 50 or 60 or 70, even in COVID. Uh, but real quick version of it, teacher's lounge, school opening back up. Cool. Uh, found out the teacher, teacher's lounge is a mess. So we repainted it. We, we put a new flooring down. We put new couches in there. We got two refrigerators in there, found out the Love teacher's that. favorite drinks, filled them all up. Uh, we found out that uh, the first responders l- lobby was a mess, so we took care of that. We found out the parks and rec was a mess, so we cleaned up the park. We found out that there were a bunch, in 2019, there were a bunch of high school girls that live in a certain area that that can't afford a prom dress because they're you know they're in a foster situation mm-hmm. or their gra- grandparents are raising them. Mm-hmm. And we got Northam's Northam's rack, rack to donate 180 some odd or 190, I forgot it was. Uh, dresses That's and awesome. we 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 gave those out on a Saturday and it was amazing. So that's what the book is all about. It's really a how-to book about how do you actually how do you actually bring church outside of the four walls and love the community in a way that is that is so endearing that if they if the church was to disappear, mm-hmm. the city would fill the gap. I love that. We want the city to fill the gap. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's kind of the concept. Man, Chris, that's so yeah. that's so well needed. I'm curious, your own church, uh, was this something your people just jumped right into? They were like, man, this is great. Or did you feel some resistance in the beginning that you kind of had to work through? We found each of our campuses. I wouldn't. Uh, I would say it starts to build up. I think culture is a combination of what you promote and what you allow. Mm. Uh, and so we've created a culture of what, what we call the whole thing is we call it love where you live. Yeah. And uh, that's the whole thing is called love where you live. And so um, at first, you know, we, we just did a, a serve Saturday and maybe a few people did it at a couple of our campuses. And then, then, you know, two or three months later, we did another serve Saturday and, and, and it just started picking up. And so most of our campuses do a love where you live week and we do it three to four times a year. Uh, but it, it took a little while to kind of build that culture. It's not automatic, yeah. uh, but you know, it's, uh, I find it really fascinating. We have some campuses in some, you know, uh, kind of more needy areas. And then we have some campuses in some extremely affluent areas mm-hmm. and the common ground is, People do like to serve other people. If you start creating that culture, they fall in love with it. Oh, I think that is such an awesome example of, I mean, really, you're being the body of Christ is what you're doing and building relational bridges to the gospel in such a compelling way. I think that is so fantastic. Um, yeah. One of the things yeah. that you say in your book, this kind of unique phrase, you say that God's love is counter conditional. And I want to hear what you mean by that. I haven't heard that before. Counter conditional? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a. Uh, it's the idea that, have you ever heard of counter-cultural? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. Kind of a, a, 
hot, hot phrase right now these days. Uh, it's, it's counter conditional. And what I mean by that is, is I believe that God's love is unconditional, but mm-hmm. I think some of the promises, some of the promises are conditional. Uh, and so, uh, for me, when you expand in, in throughout the entire book, you, you, you look and you see that there are, um, conditions, uh, that come with, not with his love, but with his promises. Mm. Uh, and so really when you start bleeding into the promises of God of like, hey, man, when Jesus said, greater works will you do? Well, that, that's a promise that we, that we have that ability to do that, that we could do the greater works. If my people who are called by my name, not, not, it's not a guarantee. Right, it's only right. if my people will do it. So it's, it's more of a counterculture. If you read kind of the whole, you know, the whole chapter on that, it really talks about like, hey, pastor, uh, and hey, church leader, hey, small group leader, God's love is unconditional. We know that. But the countercultural and the counter, counterconditional is there is, there is a two sides to it. There's the, what I call conditional promises and unconditional promises. Uh, and so we kind of talk about those things in there and, and they're opened up to all of us, but yeah. we just have to, here's what I always think real quick is I always think that people, I think that we leave too many of God's promises on the table. Yeah, mm. that's so true. Mm. That's what I feel like. I'm like, there's a lot of promises mm. out there. There's a lot of really great things he said he would do. There's an if with it, but and we leave too much on the table. I mean, there's, it's like leaving, it's like leaving blessing and money and, yeah. and, 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 and favor on the table. Why leave it on the table? Why no leave sense. it on the table? Right? <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. Well, we're we're yeah. thrilled to be joined right now by Chris Songson. He is the author of a new book coming out called Indispensable Church. Uh, as we talk about Indispensable Church, you were, we were talking off air a little bit that in some ways this is the framework of kind of the post-COVID church because COVID has really uh, thrown businesses, schools, but also churches for just a complete loop. And, and everyone's wondering, what's the church going to look like post-COVID? Why don't you talk about that and how your book is really kind of a, a map or, or an, um, an accidental guide for what the church could look like coming out of COVID? Yeah, no, thanks so much. I, you know, it's interesting uh, because it's, we do a lot of coaching through churchboom.org. We do we coach hundreds of pastors. And what I'm finding and what we're teaching pastors right now is, look, this is a season to not only reclaim, but you'll have to rebuild. Mm-hmm. You can't just reclaim. You yeah. just can't reclaim. Yeah. You're going to have to rebuild. And so, um, and people keep, uh, and the funny thing is that people keep saying, and, uh, and I'm circling to your answer here, uh, to the question, <laughs> people keep, I'm landing the plane here. Preach, Don't Pastor, uh, preach. Yeah, we're going, we're going. But uh, um, we keep saying you got to rebuild and we got to claim. And then the other thing that is, is people keep saying, I did a webinar yesterday with a whole bunch of pastors from across America, and I said, guys, we keep saying we want to go back to normal. And you could see it was a Zoom call with like a couple hundred pastors. You could hear everybody nod their head up and down like, yeah, we want to go back to normal. And I'm like, but what if normal really, wa- what if normal really wasn't that good? Yeah, great <laughs> question. Good. Great good. question. Yeah. What if, what if we weren't really reaching the loss? We were just mm. having transfer growth. You know, what if, yep. and so we kind of went into that. So uh, to, to say all that, to say that I think as we're coming back, uh, hopefully coming back, churches are 35, 45, 55% coming back. <clears throat> they're starting to figure out that maybe there's, man, maybe there's ways that we have to change. Like we've got to actually reach the loss. And, and here's the phrase I use in the book. You can't just pass through the church. You have to pass through the city. Yeah, mm. that's good. And, mm. and that's what this book, I think, of, I mean, we finished it right when COVID was about to start. I looked at my agents and the publishers and we're all on a Zoom call. And, and it was like, man, this thing is a COVID 
book. It's a post-COVID book. Yeah, it sounds and like it's, it. And it's designed, it's got questions at the very end of each chapter and a whole segment at the end on how to use it in small groups. It is truly designed for pastors to take their staff through it, but to also have it be a curriculum that they can use as a book, as a curriculum for their small groups to help them understand, like, look, we can't go back to just church as normal. Yeah. We've got to reach out better. We've got to look at it differently. We've got to become a little bit differently. We've got we to start doing some projects in the city that are really going to connect with the city. That's what the, the sort of book is, a post-COVID uh, church, kind of a response to the post-COVID mm-hmm. church, but it's not just for the pastor. It's for his staff and it's for small groups. It's designed just for that, for the, to activate your church into the life of the community. I mean, what incredible timing, the fact that you were already working on this. And then, I mean, you know, you hate to say this way, the world fell apart, but God seemed to give you this message for Mm -hmm. such a time as this. So I'm so excited for it to come out in March. Again, the title of the book is Indispensable Church. I think it's an incredible title. Um, Chris, you know, Brian and I lead churches as well. And I think one of the things that we come up against, and you'll understand this as a pastor, is sometimes people in church don't necessarily feel like they're called to ministry. They think that's for the professionals or that's Mm -hmm. for the small group leaders or that's for the, you know, staff members at church. But um, as we all know, we're all um, equipped by God, called by God to live on mission for him. And so what would you say to that person who's like, oh, I'd love to love my neighbor. I'd love to live on mission. I'd love to be part of the indispensable church, but I don't really know what to do because I'm in the marketplace or I'm not on a church staff. What word would you have for that person who's listening right now? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think that people, the fact is that, that people are different, you know, I mean, some people are extroverts, some people are introverts, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think that what we do is we tend to say, okay, uh, well, I don't have that talent, you know, or I don't have that gift, or I don't have the this, I don't have the that. God gives something to everybody. I always say that God determines the talent, we determine the choices. Hmm. And so the, the fact is that everybody has something that they can offer. And so I look at a book like Indispensable and Indispensable Church, and when they go through it as a small group together, they go through that book, they start to realize, like, you know, we can do something here. I mean, uh, <clears throat> for instance, we, we do a thing called Donut Drop. Every Monday, we to, to all the church, or to all the schools in the areas, on a Monday morning, uh, in the teacher's lounge, there's fresh donuts and a note that says, we appreciate you. That's for awesome. South Hills church. And so someone says, well, I can't do anything. Well, can you buy donuts? <laughs> can you write a note? <laughs> So everybody can do something, That's man. Great. It's like, uh, and so I think that you know, as a church, I think Indispensable Church can be a great book for pastors and churches to go through small groups, all that we talked about. But even for the individual that's just listening to this right now and thinking, okay, well, my church isn't probably going to do this. Okay, but what can you do? Because mm-hmm. you've you, you, you got to do something, man. I mean, you got to you got to somehow be salt and light. Yeah, that's uh, right. To some degree, and, and whatever that means. I mean, uh, don't it drop or whatever you want to do, but do something, you know, and and find a way to make a difference. Absolutely. Uh, In your book, you talk about, uh, I think, an important topic in this conversation. That's moralism. Uh, Could you help define moralism and also moralism? How does it keep people from actually loving other people? When I look at things like uh, moralism, I, you know, sometimes I think that people, um, there's a couple of things that I think when I think about that word. First of all, I think in the moral world, uh, people, first on the spiritual side, they think, well, as long as I'm moral, 
<laughs> you know, right, that'll right. be enough. Versus like, well, no, actually, there needs to be a relationship with Christ. Yep. There needs to be all of that. And I think that people uh, in general, you know, I don't know. It just seems like to me they kind of fight that idea and kind of excuse themselves uh, to just kind of say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, um, you know, I'm doing the best that I can or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and I think on the moralism, on the flip side of it is really the definition of moralism is is showing a tendency of to, to make judgments mm. on others' morality. So that's really what moralism is. Yeah. There's the moral side, but then there's the moralism side, which is uh, showing a tendency to make judgments. And, and that's kind of what that really means. And I think that I think that that gets in the way because if we are making judgment on people like, oh, that needy guy, you know, he's begging for food. Well, yeah, and he might be lazy. I mean, let's just be honest. He might be lazy, but uh, I, I just don't want to pass that guy up yeah. because I'm going to judge him for being lazy. Right. I'm going to give him food. He'll stand before God if he's lazy. I'll stand before God whether I give him a hand mm, or not. That is a great I, perspective. That kind of thing. And so and you could bleed that over to sexuality. You could bleed mm-hmm. that over to, you know, difference of political opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to judge them. And so by judging them, we say, well, we're not going to love them. I just, I don't see that. I don't see that's going to work when I stand before Jesus. That's you right. Know, whether yep. or not I, I agree with their lifestyle or I agree with their choices or I agree with their sexuality or political stance or if they're choosing to be homeless or not choosing to be homeless. I just got to do what I can do. I got to love people the way that Jesus would love them. Yeah. And then that's what I'm that's what I'm responsible for. Absolutely. Well, the new book is called Indispensable Church, Powerful Ways to Flood Your Community with Love. I think this is a super important book for churches, for pastors, but also just to, just Christ followers just to pick this up mm-hmm. uh, and think what are some creative ways that we can increasingly love our community. You can find uh, Chris Songson at his website, Chris Songson, S-O-N-K-S-E-N.com. That's Chris Songson.com. Also at Chris Songson on Twitter. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It was great. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Something we've been trying to do, especially in the time of the pandemic, uh, what we used to do on this show, Aubrey, is uh, we would end the show by just reading the craziest stories we could find <laughs> from the internet. We might go back to that someday, but then that something changed. entertaining. Yeah. But then it, the world changed. It was always Florida and Ohio. It was usually Florida. <laughs> it was either a Florida guy. Uh, but oh, then sad. the world changed, and, and uh, with COVID, even and I kind of made the decision, let's just try to produce some good news. Mm, so if you've never been to goodnewsnetwork.org, that's one spot where we'll get a ton of stories. But then also trying to give people things to think about. Right? As you go about your day, just what are some things to think about? Uh, and we've, with that in mind, found this article. And somewhere Ian is laughing because he's going to hear that I'm ending our show on a list. I do <laughs> love the list. Uh, at Inc.com. So not a Christian publication. Uh, just uh, It is a business uh, publication. But it says this. 
five lessons most people learn way too late in life. And it says it's best to learn these lessons while you're still young. Hmm. Uh, so it's this. Uh, what are the lessons that people most often learn too late in life? Okay. What is it? Uh, we talk about right? We preach this, right? Like what when you're on your deathbed, what are you going to wish that you yeah, know and right, done right. and not spent your life doing? So I thought would be fun is uh, a let's just go back and forth. Uh, we'll read this list okay. and kind of unpack them. I'll take the first one. But then also. Uh, does this work for us as a Christian? And what, mm. what would we change from this? And, okay. and how, what's, a lot of these are going to have biblical underpinnings, even though it is not a, a, at all a Christian organization or yep. Christian publication. All right, here we go. Number one, perception is reality. Uh, they write, it's true. The way you interpret and understand the world directly affects your beliefs and the way you live your life. Perception creates bias as much as it creates understanding. It creates fear as much as it creates curiosity. Mm. Do you want your reality to be narrow or vast? Will the bliss that ignorance provides be sufficient or do you need more? The truth is, it goes on to say, most people want more. So that's the first one. Perception is indeed reality. What do you think about that one? Um, You know, this feels like a very, postmodern construct, right? I actually think it's true, but I don't think uh, 20, 30 years ago people would have said this was true. Um, I think perception creates bias. I think the way you interpret and understand the world does directly affect your beliefs and does create fear as much curiosity. I think all those things are true. But I think as Christians, we kind of go, okay, is perception reality and is that okay? Yeah. I think maybe that's the question. Where do we get our reality? How do we define our reality? Absolutely. All right. You take number two. Okay. Number two, everything is temporary. Your good times are temporary and your bad times are temporary. So when you're up, enjoy it. Bask in it. Be grateful for it. When you're down, you will get through it. Know that it's not the end. It is just a rough patch. Life is full of twists and turns, ups and downs and surprises. We forget that it's about the journey, hmm. not the destination. What do you think about that, Brian? So I, I, I think that's like half a sermon that we preach right there, right? Like <laughs> right, right. We say everything in this world is temporary, so therefore don't put all your hopes and mm. all of your efforts. But Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in, in heaven. heaven. We yep. want to take people from the temporary and also then say, but what you do in the temporary really, really, really matters. Absolutely. It has eternal exactly, impact. Exactly. Yes. So focusing on eternity gives us purpose here on earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think they got the sermon half right there. But yeah. this, not being a Christian organization, it shows us kind of what's that perspective uh, I think that people have. Number three, uh, man, I miss doing lists. This is fun. <laughs> Number three, the importance of being present. Uh, they, they, how do you say that name? Lao Zhu. Well, I'm going to go with that. Reasonable Said, to me. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're mm. at peace, you're living in the present. They said, more often than not, we tend to worry about what's to come or dwell on something that's already happened. While it's crucial to care and consider your future, be careful not to let it hinder your present. Moments turn into memories. Enjoy the moment while you have it. It usually takes a lifetime of piled up worries for a person to realize worrying isn't productive the importance of being present what are your thoughts i mean i feel like that's jesus's words right there don't worry about tomorrow tomorrow has enough worries for itself god can take care of the sparrow he's going to take care of you i like it i'm in all right number four 
All right. Do what you love. Love what you do. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to skip this first story. They say invest in yourself. This goes for your work life and your not work life. What habits and hobbies do you want to stop? What do you want to develop? It is important to be conscious, conscious of the type of people and activities you surround yourself with. Information is like nutrients to your brain. Mm. Be aware of what you're feeding yourself. Then I like this one. Success isn't one triumphant moment. It is a series of moments and choices leading up to bigger moments. Mm. What do you think about that? I think that's an, that's an important one. It says you're the only person who can get in the way of living every day doing uh, what you love. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't only do what you love, but yes. there, there's that old saying, right? Find a job where it doesn't feel like, you know, where it's something mm-hmm. you love and then you will have never worked a day in your life. And, right, right. Uh, but this also, I think for me, pertains to like family. I can fill my life with so much stuff and then I, I can ignore what I love the most. Like the people right in front of you. I'm going to get to the end of my life and go, uh, did I love my wife well? Did yes, I love my kids well? 100%. Did, did I feel like, you know, I've got cats in the cradle playing in the background <laughs> right now. Like, did I feel like I, my, you know, my, my, I got a daughter's junior in high school. Oh. Like, we're talking about college and she's ready to go. Like, like she's in a great spot. Yeah. Uh, but that reaction you had is the reaction my wife has every time I bring uh. it up. And so, you know, there's the, there, you do every now and then have these moments of like, slow down. Yes. And, and like, and you do, you know, when I drive her to college, not to be too melancholy, I want to go, I feel like I gave all the time I had and all the energy I had. And yeah. not that our life ends then. It just changes, right? When they go it to college. Change. And, and so, you, don't, you just don't want to regret. I, I don't know. You, exactly. In pursuit of accomplishing yep. tasks, yep. you don't want to miss out on that beautiful relationship you have with your daughter. That's right. And so I don't think it's just do what you love, but I think it's be present with the ones that you love. Mm. And then, man, look at us. Very philosophical. Yeah, we could write our own list, Brian. <laughs> we don't need this list from Inc.com. Number five at Inc.com. Uh, things we wish we learned we knew. Uh, things we learn way too late in life is this list. Number five, being happy takes work. The happiest people tend to be the ones who've worked the most on themselves. Hmm. Being happy takes a lot of work. It's just as much work, if not more, to be unhappy. So choose wisely. Being happy means at some point you decided to take control of your life. It means you decided to not be a victim and to put that energy back into yourself. Sometimes it's hard, but you have to pull yourself up and push yourself forward. Your lifetime is a series of developments and personal growth. Being happy takes work. What do you think? I actually think that's pretty good. I I was uh, doing a kind of a self-reflection journal recently. And one of the things it said was something similar. Just say out loud, I am a happy. (laughs) Just like almost try to uh, shift your perspective. Because I do think it takes as much work not to be happy. Now, of course, this is obviously under the umbrella of there are hard seasons in life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you aren't happy because something devastating has happened. But I do think personal happiness is a choice and sometimes i feel like for the christian we don't let ourselves be happy we just want to sort of like punish ourselves again and again and so i i want to see more happy joyful christians that's good laugh sometimes right have some fun it's okay to enjoy life and so hopefully that was helpful five lessons most people learn way too late in life and i guess i would close it this way uh when you get to the end of your life and you're looking back what do you think you're going to wish that you spent the most time doing and start doing it now. It's a great question. Start doing it now as opposed to being like, oh, 10 years from now, I'll do that. Mm. When I make enough money, when I do this, start start doing what you wanted to do now. Well, all right, Aubrey, we finished the show. We did it. We did it in studio. Amazing. Like, this is just crazy. And in fact, unless they tell us otherwise, we're going to come do it again tomorrow. All right. And uh, in the same seat. So we're glad that you joined us today. We're going to be together again tomorrow from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian 
Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.